Welcome to The Bridge. Fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Hello, everyone. My name is Jason, and I'm living in Wuhan, but I'm originally from California. Yes. Hey, Jason. Hi, everybody. This is Bebe from Beijing, China. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. So today's topic is English and other foreign languages in China. But before we get to that, I actually wanted to talk to you about Chinese languages in China. Hmm. Because, you know, a lot of people think, oh, there's Chinese. But actually, that's not entirely accurate. Hmm. There is another, at least two languages. And, and obviously, there's more. So we're going to get to those two. Hmm. But there's Cantonese. Right. And then there's Mandarin. And I guess, what is there? Hakka? Oh, Hakka. you're talking about... So well, there are local dialects, and I don't know how many there are. I can tell what people are saying, even when they use their d- local dialects to a large extent. Really? Actually, I, they're not other languages, but Cantonese. Okay. Yeah. The reason I bring up Cantonese specifically mm. is I want to share a story today. Mm-hmm. I was at, living in San Francisco. I think it was, uh, I, I, w- I went to Korea. I went back to the United States for one year before I came to China. Mm. And uh, I really wanted to learn Chinese. Mm-hmm. So I started taking Cantonese. Oh. Not understanding that, you know, that wasn't what I was going to be speaking. I see. Beginner's mistake. Right. So I started taking Cantonese and uh, it is really hard. Right. I mean, really, really hard. <laughs> so Mandarin has four tones. Right. And Cantonese, depending on, you know, which way you learn, there are either seven or nine yeah, tones. Yeah, I heard. Oh, my goodness. I it was know. so hard. I think I got, I, I spent my entire life getting straight A's, basically. Uh, I was that nerd guy, right? right. But when I took, I took, I think I got a C in Cantonese oh, because it was so hard. And they don't even speak Cantonese. I was like, okay, Chinatown's right here, right. you know, here in San Francisco. So I would go there. Mm-hmm. And actually, they don't speak Cantonese either. Oops. They speak a dialect mm-hmm. that is an ancient, more, not ancient. Of an old dialect called Toisanhua, oh. which is actually like a a very thick dialect of Cantonese. <laughs> so, like, even as I'm learning Cantonese, I'm still not able to communicate with people there. Uh-huh. So then, okay, I, I started learning about Chinese culture through my first semester of Cantonese. I took two semesters, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, okay, I need to learn Mandarin. Mm. Okay, fine. So I started. I took one. I took a course that was 1.5 units, or like half of a course. Uh-huh of uh mandarin so i only basically learned pinyin and like how to say hello was that easier came over. did it feel easier than cantonese it did it did feel also because i'd already taken one semester of cantonese mm-hmm. there were actually some similarities like in the grammar and mm. things so when i was starting to learn mandarin it was like okay this is kind of familiar a little bit mm. you know, it's not the same language it's not but there were f- similarities between the way the language was structured. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, this kind of makes sense to me. Of course, when I got to China, I wasn't ready at all. All <laughs> I could say is things like ni hao right. and, you know, uh, I'm from America, mm-hmm. you know, really basic stuff. Um, but, you know, China actually used to have so many dialects that they were actually almost like languages. What I understand is over the past Hmm. 70 years or so that there's been a simplification and like everyone's been moving towards the center, which is uh, Putonghua. Well, Mandarin, I mean, I don't know how long we have been speaking Mandarin, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. in public schools, like if you go to public schools, Mm -hmm. starting in um, grade school, Mm -hmm. uh, teachers are supposed to teach in Mandarin. Hmm. Like back in Wuhan, I was uh, I was 
um, born in Wuhan. So all my classmates, most of my classmates, they were you know local uh, Wuhanese.、Mm. When they talk, it's likely that they would talk in the Wuhan dialect,、mm. which sounds.、Um, I would say it's pretty different from Mandarin,、um, but after you get used to it, you know it's not that hard to understand.、Mm-hmm. And then, but in classrooms, teachers and students would communicate in Mandarin.、Mm. Um, some of our teachers, like their Mandarin, maybe wasn't that good, or Putonghua maybe wasn't that good, but still, you know, they try.、Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, even nowadays, in maybe more remote places or、uh, places where,、um, like, the local dialect is really strong, and then that kind of takes over.、Mm-hmm. But everyone is supposed to be、mm-hmm. able to speak Putonghua、mm-hmm. or Mandarin.、Mm-hmm. But as to how many dialects are there, I, I don't even know. Like you know, for example, like Shanghai dialect,、mm-hmm. it sounds like a foreign language to me.、Mm-hmm. Like just, just completely like a foreign language to me. But then it will be easier、um, to learn than actually learning a foreign language.、Mm-hmm. So sorry, guys, people were coming here for the first time. So start with Mandarin. <laughs> Well, okay. So going where we're supposed to be in the direction of is English. Now,、mm. English for those that in in America they don't know、uh, is actually one of the core subjects that Chinese people need to learn. Right in school. So, but that's probably changing. Yeah, and it's、um, yeah. You think so? Well, I've heard so in the news. Exactly how they're going to do it,、uh, I haven't really followed up. But this is something that we just we have not heard of because ever since we were in school, I started learning English. I think in junior high. At that time, we started late,、mm. so we started a little bit maybe in grade school, but it was like you know A B C that kind of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and then、mm-hmm. the whole thing really started in junior high. That would be the sixth grade,、mm. sixth or seventh. We started. Nowadays, they're teaching it earlier in grade school. Some start right away, first grade, simple stuff, and some start in third grade. It depends on where you are, but it's always been part of. The curriculum for public schools, like you are supposed to be proficient by the time you、uh, enter college or graduate from college. You know, there are these kind of exams,、mm. and it's part of the Gaokao,、mm-hmm. which is、mm-hmm. the、um, college entrance exam. But the past year, now we've we've talked about the education、um, policy changes、mm-hmm. earlier,、mm-hmm. and this is kind of part of it. We've heard talks about. Taking Gao taking English exam out of Gaokao out of the national entrance exam,、mm. and there were even talks about taking it out of the public required curriculum.、Mm-hmm. Um, maybe like at a certain point, not a hundred percent, but at a certain point. Now these were things that were floating around. Um, I haven't really followed up to see if there is any like final policies out yet. But it was such a radical idea. You know, for for parents, we just never thought that there would be changes to this, and people were speculating, say, why all of a sudden there is such change in policy? I mean, English has always been really important. I mean, this is just us thinking. I think there might be a couple reasons.、Um, and first of all, I think maybe because Chinese is becoming more important globally mm-hmm, speaking, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and maybe there will be a time when. Uh, Chinese could also be one of these international languages, 
I mean, it's a lot harder to learn. Technically, the United Nations Mm. has six official languages, and all of the documents that the United Nations operates in Mm -hmm. must be translated into these six official languages. And they are are Mandarin, Mm -hmm. English, Spanish, Arabic, Russian, and French. Oh, I see. And so... Right now, even, Mandarin is a very important international language, legally. Yeah. I mean, there are so many of us speaking it <laughs> already. Yeah, yeah. And the other reason that we didn't know, but, you know, parents, we, we chat about this uh, in the playground when our kids play together. We was like, why? Why are they making this uh, change to the English course? Because Chinese parents devote a lot of, they spend a lot of money, mm. you know, mm. uh, paying for English lessons. Um, if all of a sudden they say, oh, we're not going to test this anymore, <laughs> they will feel like, what? <laughs> As if they spent that money, you know, uh, kind of wasted it. Mm. Um, but I think one reason is that um, English has uh, been taking such an important position that some professionals, let's say you are a uh, chemist or you are a artist, right? And you are really good at what you're doing, mm-hmm. but your English is not that great. Mm-hmm. If that's the case, you might have a disadvantage when it mm. comes to the national college entrance exam mm-hmm. or other exams that are other major exams that would determine, you know, where you would go to college, where you would go to graduate school or where you would uh, go for work mm. or even promotions at work. So maybe English has taken on too big of um, a, a priority for a lot of people that it would stop people with talents in other areas from progressing, you know, from uh, making real progress. Because, you know, if you are a great artist, um, you could apply to one of these great um, art schools Mm -hmm. or just, uh, you know, national universities. But you got a really low score on English. And that will even out your score to make the whole, you know, the total score too low. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't really matter. You know, your English doesn't have to be good for you to be really good at what you do if you are say, an artist or a chemist, maybe. I'm just giving an example. But that makes sense, right? United States, they actually account for that in mm. some majors, like engineering, mm-hmm. for example. Like engineering majors don't have to take the same prerequisites as other majors. Mm. So, like if if history is a requirement for most majors, mm-hmm. in engineering it's not a requirement mm-hmm. because in engineering has so many very specific things they need to do in order to be successful right. in their major. Right. They just take away a lot of like social sciences. Oh, you don't need to take anthropology, exactly. sociology, history. Mm. It's not important. You don't need to take philosophy. You can just do pure math and architecture and things like that because those are the kinds of things that are going to get you a career. Right. So, I mean, in terms of like discount, I mean, actually, I I have no uh, feeling about this. If I actually, I have the opposite. I'm a little confused. Why has English been an important so part important. of the Chinese curriculum is more of a mm-hmm. question for me. I mean, I've always wondered, why is Chinese so important in, I mean, sorry, English so important in the Chinese curriculum? How did it get to be one of these three big pillars of Chinese education in the first place? Well, that's something I've always been kind of perplexed by. Well, you know, the best universities are in the United States. 
and also in, you know, somewhere in Europe and also, uh, you know, people are going out to study in Australia, New mm. Zealand even. Mm. Mm. So English would be the basic requirement, right? Mm. And also for all, even in the past four decades, China in so many ways have been looking up to the West, mm. right? Learning um, the technology and culture and just uh, how to do things, you know, more efficiently and uh, everything we've been learning from developed countries. And the language is just uh, the basic tool that mm. you need. Mm. And also it's known as the international language. And I guess it just, you know, took root before the other international languages did. When you're, when you're talking about, we're talking about the evolution of like the developing power or the developing international uh, power of a particular group of people. Mm. You go back in the English, you know, before the English were really powerful, the Spanish and the French were really powerful. Mm. But what you did, what I didn't, what you didn't see at that time mm -hmm. is a whole bunch of English schools teaching French and Spanish. Mm. I mean, sure, there were like elite people who did learn French and Spanish mm -hmm. in England, mm. but there wasn't like a nationwide policy of trying to learn like German, French and Spanish. Mm -hmm. Instead, this the English. I'm just I'm just looking at precedents in history, yeah. and it looks like China is the first like super developed nation that went from being developing to where it is now, basically developed. That looked to other nations and is like, let's just mm. learn about them really efficiently by by learning their language. It's so kind of unique to me and sort of. We never way. thought about this, you know, but it's it's an interesting point because now, as you were talking, I remember at the time. That uh, the one time that I went to France to for a visit, mm. uh, this is before we had our daughter. Well, we still had free time. <laughs> I remember, you know, we were um, we went in this really nice restaurant, and I wanted a cup of hot water because it was winter time. It was like you know mm. Chinese mm. Uh, spring festival time, and I went in there. And I asked for, for a glass of hot water. And the waitress could not understand me. Mm. I did not ask for this in Chinese. I asked mm. for this, a cup of hot water in English. Mm. And the, the, the way the waitress, I still remember the looks on her face. Like I was like speaking Greek or something to her. She couldn't understand mm -hmm. it. And it was like a nice restaurant. It wasn't just, you know, some rural village where people are not like connected to the outside world. Yeah. yeah. So I was I was like, what why is she having trouble understanding me? And then the other guests, they started helping out. <laughs> and I was like, it was like hot. I was like, you know, making this drinking gesture. <laughs> and they were like, and then later they brought like hot tea to me. So maybe they understood. But that's how she, I was really shocked because I thought that in the developed world, you know, in Europe, especially people would speak English. Mm. And then later I learned that. Um, not in France, people don't feel like they have to learn English. And actually, they're a little bit hostile toward the idea. Yeah, well, because they're very them, proud they of their culture, their right. heritage. And they're like, everyone so, should be speaking French. French instead. <laughs> so I, you know, I still remember that incident from over about 10 years ago. And then also, you know, when we went to visit in Japan, we thought that, you know, if us in China, everybody's learning English, then people elsewhere must be learning English too. But it turned out that it's not the case. You might come across people um, like our tour guide or uh, the bus driver who can communicate fluently in English. But most other people, their, you know, their English levels are pretty basic. So now that you pointed out, I remembered this because I think for a lot of people here, we just think that everybody needs to learn English. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> and that, that's what we do. That's what we do. Hmm. Um, but I think that pointed out something about this culture 
um, I mean, China is very willing to learn mm -hmm. from top down to bottom up, from the country, you know, the government down to the, the people. Um, there's this willingness to learn, I have to say. And, and also, you know, a lot of the policies the country makes that's that's after analysis, serious analysis of uh, policies of other countries and what happened after those policies were taken into effect. So China as a whole, I think it's a great she's a great <laughs> student. Um, we look at, you know, what happened in modern history in developed world and we see the progress and also the, the traps and the hurdles. And then when China makes its own policy, they learn from mm -hmm. those mistakes. Mm -hmm. Well, those setbacks, and they try to avoid the same thing. Mm -hmm. And maybe, have you heard of the term, the uh, advantage of backwardness? No, I haven't. Because, yeah, because China was, it, this is one application, I guess, of this idea. Because China was, you know, it's still a developing country. And for decades, uh, we were behind, you know, the United States and Japan and Germany uh, on, on so many fronts that, you know, we actually could learn faster. Because we can just look at what happened in other countries. Mm, like what mm, happened when mm. an economic crisis hit, mm. right? Do you just let the market fix it by itself? Well, that seems like the damage was too big, right? Mm -hmm. So um, a little bit of macro intervention, macroeconomic intervention would be helpful. So we didn't go down the same path that we didn't like. And also, let's say, you know, Japan after 1980s didn't really have the kind of uh, the revival that just never really came. And why is that? And we studied that and we tried to avoid the pitfalls um, that got them into that mess. So, you know, China's been a great student. Hmm. You know, China also does a business with a lot of countries besides English-speaking countries. You know, mm. a lot of Africa speak French. So I'm wondering, would it wouldn't it be more prudent? And just my this, I guess this is just us speculating at this point. Wouldn't it be more prudent for Chinese people to have the options to learn, you know, Spanish or Russian or Arabic or French or some other language, mm. where the the student might be like the family might be, hey, you know, dad or uncle, they do business in mm. you know this other country, or they do business in Pakistan. On, why not learn Urdu? That way, when they grow up, we could send them to work in the factory that we have there or, the, you know, whatever mm. business that we're doing there. Mm -hmm. You know, I, before you answer this question, I just want to point out that a lot of Americans don't learn any foreign languages. <laughs> the, you know, uh, some of them learn like Spanish, right. some of them learn like Chinese, mm. and some of them learn French and less learn other languages. Mm. And it's like very few people learn any language outside of English. And it's just a very small core group of very uh, uh, smart nerdy mm. kind of people who really like, oh, I'm going to learn Spanish or mm -hmm. Ch Chinese or something. Mm. So yeah, in terms of China doing business around the world, why not have more flexibility, more options? Maybe, you know, learn a different language. Yes. I mean, I'm, I've am i been looking for 
classes lessons for my daughter for a second language.、Mm. I mean, she、uh, Chinese is her mother tongue,、mm-hmm. and then she we started reading in English when she's two. So by the by the time she was like five. She was fluent in English、mm, just、wow. from reading together. You know what? This is because it's easier to learn languages when they're younger. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I have been looking for. I was thinking about either Japanese or Germany,、um, or German, or maybe Spanish.、Mm. So,、uh, but it's it's harder to find resources mm, mm. for these languages. I mean, when you look for resources for learning English,、mm, both mm, for mm. kids and adults. It's like flyers in the sky. It's yeah, everywhere. Yeah, yeah, it is everywhere. And it you, and it's、uh, it's not as pricey,、uh, easily accessible. But when it comes to a second language, it gets a lot harder. I mean, I、um, did find an app for her, but it's not like you know, there's no real human interaction.、Mm. Those will cost a lot more.、Mm. Like if I have to sign up for a lesson, the one I looked. Acts about it's like one fifty RMB for fifteen minutes. Wow, it's not even、oh、like an hour.、Goodness. So that's what six hundred per hour RMB. That's just like a hundred dollars an hour. So I I didn't sign up for that. I think that's too pricey. Yeah. Um. And other I mean there I've looked into Japanese classes, but they are also over two hundred per. I think it's two hundred RMB maybe for forty minutes or so. Not as crazy, but still. I mean, if you do it once a week or once or twice a week, that's a lot of money. So I'm still working on that front. Even if I think people,、um, I mean, a lot of people are thinking about second foreign language for their kids, but that's going to take place、yeah. after learning English. I think for us、mm. by now, English is just it's just basic. It's just something you. It's like math, you know, something you do. Like I think, I think it is. I think there is definitely something maybe in Chinese society where there's like been a turn towards English for a long time,、mm. because whatever city you go to, whatever town you go to, all of the signs are like in Chinese and English.、Mm. You get on the subway and the stops are in Chinese and English, and sometimes they're sometimes in、um, Pinyin.、Right. They're like Chinese and English and Pinyin. Every you see signs all over the place.、Mm-hmm. Some are not always grammatically correct. <laughs> But you get you get the general idea. There are interesting cases. Yeah. Actually, there's a new campaign by the、uh, Beijing government specifically where they're like they're tired of having signs with the wrong <laughs> clean up. Yeah,、signs. exactly. Yeah. There's a there's a promotion to clean up the English and、right. Beijing right now to fix all the goofy signs.、Yeah. I actually find I find them really interesting. They are very entertaining. I, I, I used to take I used to take pictures of them and share them with my friends back home.、Mm. Hey, look at this! Look at this! Look at this! Because some of them are, there was really a good one I saw in. In an article recently,、mm-hmm. and it was like in a train station, and it said、um, "translation server access failure," <laughs> and it was a huge, huge banner that they had printed and put above a train. Oh my goodness! <laughs> and they were like, "Okay, this is." I punched it in.、Uh, it says this is the translation. Let's go. <laughs> that is actually very cute. <laughs> it is. It is. And then you'll see teams of people following your blog to find out where they need to clean up the message. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, I, I on my um, I have I run a vlog. I, I have a vlog,、mm. and a lot of my my comments, like at least ten or twenty percent of the comments who follow me,、mm-hmm. they're like, "Oh, this is really useful. You talk so fast. This is really <laughs> pushing me to advance my English listening using, skills." They, they, they explain, <laughs> yeah, they explain that they're listening to my channel specifically because they want to learn English,、right. and they're trying to like, "Oh, this is what an American sounds like." <laughs> I, I'm sorry to let all of you guys know. Any of you who might also be my vlog fans,、uh-huh. most people don't talk this fast. <laughs> yeah, but you know, it's a great, it's a great way to learn. And I, I don't、mm. know, 
mm. um, if like if you were even conscious of this before reading those comments, like you probably never thought about mm. your mm. videos serving as a tool for language learning, right? Mm. You were sharing mm. culture. No, I not really. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, it's like you know me reading to reading picture stories to my daughter and to other kids. I put them online, right, mm. uh, as audio or mm -hmm. video form. Mm -hmm. I wanted to share these picture books. You know, because I love reading mm -hmm. and I want to share mm -hmm. these great stories with my daughter, with other kids. But they're taken as an English learning tool <laughs> by yeah, the parents yeah. over but here. Some of them, they're great stories, they too. Are. I mean, you're tricking the kid because the kids like kids love stories. Right. Kids love stories. I was <laughs> I have I teach a class and my kids were the other day. There was like a 10 minute lull. Mm -hmm. And so I just started telling them the story of Wizard of Oz mm -hmm. as I remember it from the movie. Right. So I just started telling them about this girl, Dorothy, who lived in Kansas. Uh -huh. And I was like, oh, 10 minutes, 10 minutes is up. And they're like, no, 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 no. no, no, no you have to tell us more. <laughs> they Kids love stories. So right. if you can use their addiction to stories, their story addiction mm -hmm. to teach them about something. That's a great. A great exactly. Way that's them. the best way to learn. And also, I think another yeah. way uh, has been the, you know, one of the most important, the most important international language is um, it's pretty easy to learn, you know, compared to other languages. Hmm. Uh, we're not talking about, you know, having superb writing skills. Yeah, German, German is really hard. Yeah, I mean, the other languages, I mean, Chinese, for example, I mean, as uh, a Chinese uh. native, I know it's hard. I mean, teaching my daughter Chinese and, and, and English, that's like two different things. <laughs> English, I don't I didn't even teach her. You know, we read together mm. and she learned. And after uh, learning how to speak it, you know, and listening mm. and speaking, she started to write by herself pretty much and read and write wow. by herself because it's, you know, fanatical. You, you, you kind of just you can spell it out. Chinese is a whole different story. We have the pinyin mm, system. Mm, yeah, it's it's two I know. languages. And besides, because you have written Chinese and spoken Chinese, and they're totally yes. like two <laughs> languages side by right. side that are symbiotic, and there's a very strong relationship there, mm. but they're different in so many ways yeah, too. Yeah, and uh, written Chinese dates back what five, six, actually older. If you really go back to like six, seven thousand years old, mm -hmm. writing on cow bones, right, to like make predictions and things. Like Chinese characters are ancient, Turtle truly shells. ancient. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they, it's I, I, they're very hard to learn. I mean, the characters they're like drawings for each character mm. so i mean even for us you know when we talk about making chinese the international language i'm like wow that's just too hard for others <laughs> you know it's it's like we feel sorry you know for people who have to learn this language and also um i, I know probably other people don't think about this but when i compare the two languages when it comes to uh teaching my daughter you know when i teach her uh, on chinese um you know language i feel like I'm teaching her about the culture. Mm. I'm not just teaching her, um, you know, how to write in a language. Mm -hmm. But when we um, learn English together, you know, when we read together, I feel like the language is more of a tool that doesn't have as much mm. um, baggage attached to it. Because when you're learning Chinese, you know, mm. they go way back. And also every character has like a story behind it. And also the, you know, the historical mm. stories related to these terms. Every idiom has a story from a couple thousand years ago, right? Mm. And um, this fables and everything. There's just so much behind this language that mm -hmm. you're not teaching a language anymore. You're teaching really a culture.
I think you I think you should teach I think you should teach Mandarin because I've never had anyone explain Mandarin mm. in that way. It's always just memorize these characters. This is how they're used in a sentence. Maybe you should write a book where you tell the story of like Jeez. characters and like and because it sounds That's like hard. there's an opening there. I, I I go to the the bookstores in China all the time mm. looking for the next tool that's going to help learn me learn Chinese. Chinese. Oh. And I have I I've seen like books about like oh poet poetry or like books about phrases and things. Mm-hmm. But I haven't seen one that talks about the etymology or history mm. of individual characters or words. I think you could definitely find an Well, I don't there. feel like I'm, you know, knowledgeable enough. I mean, to be honest, um, <laughs> I love reading in English a bit more. I just find it to be easier. Mm. Like Chinese, they're all like chunks. <laughs> you know what I mean? The, each character is looks so heavy. Mm. And when they're all bundled together um, on one page, just one chunk after another, it gets, uh, it, it's just too much. And also there are so many characters. Mm. Um, like, I feel like I would have to be flipping the dictionary all the time. Mm. So it's it's difficult. And, um, you know, I apologize for people who have to learn Chinese as a second language. I mean, it's immensely interesting once you get the hang of it. Mm-hmm. And there mm-hmm. is endless of things you can learn about it, stories and history and culture behind it. But the, at least the, at the beginning, it's it's quite tough. Well, among so, us expats, we have things that we say about learning Chinese. So oh, like what? Every basic there 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 are patterns that emerge that everyone who got really good at speaking Mandarin typically went to university in China. Mm. Like there almost all of the people that you end up meeting who are very fluent in Mandarin who are foreigners mm-hmm. from whatever country they they originally came from mm. originally started by going to, you know, a Chinese university to study. Mm. And that's where they ended up becoming fluent. All the people that hire tutors and are self-taught, they get pretty good eventually, but not like the people who just went just went to school in China. People like who went to school, program. yeah, the, the full full. You have to write your papers in China. You have to talk to your professors mm-hmm. or your teachers or your co students. Mm. Live on campus or off, right off campus. You have to be completely immersed in doing that all the time. <laughs> but here's the the problem is we're talking about English in China. Mm. A huge amount of expats who come over mm. are English teachers. Yeah, so their job is to produce an English immersive environment. Mm. So they end up making friends there with people who speak English. We call this the expat bubble. bubble. (laughs) The bubble of, yeah, expat bubble. Your English speaking bubble is a bubble of people that are like all speak English. And then it's too easy and it Mm. becomes convenient and comfortable for them to just speak English Mm. with all the other English teachers that they Mm -hmm. met. And then they go to work and they speak English and they have to speak English to their students and with their coworkers Mm -hmm. who are trying to learn English because they want to be better English teachers. And then you just have this pattern of constantly being stuck, Mm. not being able to get out of that bubble. And so a lot of expats Mm -hmm. get stuck being English speakers and not learning Chinese well enough. It's like if you go live in Chinatown in the U.S. <laughs> yeah. yeah Actually, in Chinatown in San Francisco, they have a Chinese school. Mm. So if you want to just take school in Chinese, you can. Mm-hmm. There's no law that says that you have to learn English mm. in America, actually. Mm. So there's a Chinese school in Chinatown. So you could literally just go there, graduate, open a business, main, and, and live your entire life in, in Chinese yeah. and Cantonese or mm-hmm. maybe even in Mandarin now because there are a lot more Mandarin speakers living in, in America mm. now these days too. And I just want to add that for 
you know, people who are thinking of coming over to China, um, it's helpful to know that people here are really friendly. You know, I think that's yeah, yeah, um, yeah. very, very important when it comes to language learning. People are willing mm. to to talk to you, to share. Absolutely. Um, you don't, More. Yeah. yeah. If you, there's, I mean, in the, the problem is that the expats that come here mm-hmm. are often too shy or like embarrassed about saying me? the wrong thing. <laughs> no, if I wanted to just be an immersive right now, I could walk downstairs and I know some old people who hang out <laughs> in my Shouchu all the time right. who love me. And when I walk by, they're like, hey, right. my foreign friend. Yeah. And so if I were to like go sit with them and just I could have free Chinese lessons all no, the you time. You have like a Wuhan but, dialect <laughs> les- lessons. <laughs> yeah. That's that's, I mean, that's the case. Um, I mean, Chinese people are very friendly and open. It's easier to bond with people over here. I think that's something really different from um, my experience from living here and also living in the States. I mean, in the States, mm. in, in the back of your mind, you're always conscious of uh, uh, maintaining the right distance, you know, giving people mm. enough space so that you're not intruding on anybody. And in a lot of cases, you know, if you don't live in the city, there is really... Um, not that many people you come across, <laughs> right, on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And even in the city, you know, everybody, it's like everybody lives in their own bubble, right? Mm. D- there is a distance that you are supposed to be, uh, supposed to keep. But that's mm-hmm. not as obvious here in China. Like, as if people are supposed to smile and talk to you. Especially, you know, if all of a sudden in their neighborhood, a, a, a foreign guy like you popped out. You know, people are like, huh, where did he come from? Look at that guy wearing shorts on a day like this. <laughs> I want to go over and ask him why. And especially for they older do. people. I, I, when I walk outside, right. not even older kids too, you know, because English, because expats coming over mm. generally are English teachers. Mm-hmm. Like I, I would say, 80% or 90% are English teachers. I'm just guessing here, but it does seem lot, like that. Yeah. So, so when I walk outside, I see children between the ages of five and 12 or something. Mm-hmm. They always run up to me and say, hello, hello. And sometimes <laughs> they even say, hello, t- hello, teacher. Hello, hello, teacher. And like, I don't even know this kid, but they right. know I'm a teacher. So- do you, wait, do you find this odd that people like strangers? No, I find it actually endearing. Up. I find yeah. it endearing. i I feel like a celebrity <laughs> because like everyone always wants to say hi to me. Even sometimes I'll just be standing there and a uh-huh. kid will look shy, kind of hiding between the, behind their mom because it's different personality uh-huh. types, right? Mom will be like, go say hello. Go say hello. Go say hello. It's an English teacher. Go say hello. Time to practice your English <laughs> yeah, skills. Go, pra- go show me what you've learned, kid. Yeah. And I mean, that's not, you know, the only reason uh, pe- that people approach each other. It's just, I think in general... Uh, maybe because of um, the thicker population density, that people mm. are not as afraid of each other, and mm. they're not as um, conscious or aware of this uh, personal distance thing. You know, like because mm. we feel like people are supposed to be friendly. You know, humans mm. are supposed to talk to each other, supposed mm. to bond. Um, but of course, with urbanization, you know, in the past few decades, things have become a little different. Now it's Mm. possible that maybe you've been living in the same apartment and even next door, but you really haven't haven't really talked to each other ever, you know, ever. It's possible. But there's kind of, um, you know, sadness to that, because when I was little, neighbors were like neighbors, you know, Mm, mm. maybe one day I just go off and eat dinner at their house because I played there till too late. Or mm. the kids always play together. Well, maybe that's what time what it was like back in the states a couple of decades ago. I'm not too sure, but you mm. know things been changing. Things have been changing a bit. 
Um, but hopefully, I, I, I hope that, you know, people can still uh, retain that kind of friendliness um, and not, you know, make distance such a big deal. You know what? Because we want to stay connected. When I was a child, yeah. I lived in the suburbs. And I remember, like, the neighbors all kind of knew each other. And mm. I, I noticed by, by the time I was older that that was less the case. And mm. there has been kind of an ossification of American society and, mm. like, different competing kind of camps. And right. people are, like, less friendly with each other overall. But what mm. I hear is, and I may be wrong, if you go to, like, a small, small town mm. in, like, maybe the south or something, mm-hmm. people generally are like, oh, hello there, mm. how are you? But that's if you go to a big city, people are more like, you know, straight, walk straight ahead. <laughs> too okay, too many to time, people. Turn, time to turn right. To say hello to. Like, <laughs> I, it, but here in China, yeah, everywhere I've been, people are like, where are you from? Who are you? Yeah. Where are you? Yeah. Like, Do you want to be my friend? Let's come over to my house. It's like, yeah, people are very, very You're friendly. Like, What's here. wrong with these people? Or maybe you just look really <laughs> friendly because kids, kids, they for them, it's intuitive. Mm. You know, if they feel like this person is safe, it's nice. Um, you know, they, they won't be afraid to talk mm. to you. I remember like my daughter, when I was, when she was little, like two, um, my coworker, one of my coworkers, husband, Wow. he shaved his head. So he had a bald head. Maybe that was why. And, but it's not that common in China, yeah. right? To see it's, someone it's... completely bold. And so he came in, he knew us. So he came over on his bike. He's like, eh, hello, you know, uh-uh, my, my daughter's name. And my daughter usually, you know, she she was two. She was usually very friendly. And she just kind of turned around <laughs> and shied away from him. It's as if he, she felt like, you know, he was like threatening in some way. <laughs> and when the guy asked my daughter, so what's your name? You know, tell me your name. And my, my daughter was like, um... No, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) But that was, you know, I remember this because I think she was a little, uh, she didn't feel so safe because um, maybe he didn't look as friendly Mm -hmm. or maybe because he was completely bold. Mm -hmm. (laughs) One of those reasons. So you must have a really friendly uh, presence. You know, if kids and everybody else want to just come up and and, and chat and talk. I think I would say Goofy is probably more like it. Goofy? Goofy is good. I like Goofy. (laughs) (laughs) I like being Goofy. Being Goofy is very helpful when it comes to teaching, right? And also parenting. You know, um, recently there's a law that's going to be changing here in China. And I was actually surprised because I thought this was the law. So I I just read about this recently. And I think it's December 20th is when they close for comments. You know, when China's passing a new law, they have a period where they're like, okay, we open the law up to public comment. Hmm. And you can email or mail or call in and say, I feel this way about it. And before they Mm -hmm. uh, make a law. So December Mm -hmm. 20th, I think, is when the law officially they close for comments and mm-hmm. then they're going to decide but they're actually changing the law so that you require it requires a bachelor's degree mm. to teach uh at a at a high school mm. 
and requires a master's degree to teach at a university. I mm. thought this was the law. So when I read this, I was sort of very surprised. Mm. But, you know, uh, if this if this means that... Wait, bachelor for teaching high school? Yeah. That sounds... Yeah, doesn't that, that sounds seem... reasonable. That, no, but it, it should have been the law all along. I don't understand how, how this wasn't already the law. Well, then, because if you think about it, bachelor's, that's college graduate, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And the college entrance exam was re reinstated, I think, in the early 1970s. Mm, mm. So... Um, and then, I mean, it took a while for us to be able to produce, what, 9 million graduates per mm-hmm. year, college mm-hmm. graduates. So maybe there was a period of time when there weren't enough college graduates to teach all the high schools or, mm-hmm. um, you know, but, but by now we have too many college graduates. Mm-hmm. And speaking of degrees, I think I saw in the, um, uh, was it on TikTok or my WeChat friend circle? They there was a um, like a document mm-hmm. indicating the degrees of newly hired teachers in a Shenzhen. Mm-hmm. Was it a high school? I think maybe it was a high school, and you wouldn't believe it. Oh yeah, yeah, I remember you. You said, I think you told me about this. Really? No, I think I, if it wasn't you, someone <sighs> Some, else. Did maybe that. it wasn't me, but it it was so shocking because at literally everyone. On the list, graduated either from Tsinghua or Beida. Mm, with mm. Tsinghua University or Beida, it's like, you know, the Princeton and Harvard of yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the United States. With a master's degree or a doctor's degree for a high school. I did hear that. It wasn't even a university. One thing about Shenzhen is that it is a, a city of migrants and people who are very educated mm. migrated there to basically make Shenzhen. They were like, okay, let's go and create. And it became one of these first tier cities Mm -hmm. with like, what, 20 million people and like one of some of the most advanced technologies in the world. And Mm. all of these, like the Baidu campus and all of these amazing things. I think it's part of what they call the the greater Bay Area. So, yeah. So like this super high, it it, kind of makes sense to me to some extent. still. That there would be a very high concentration of super educated people. But I have to say. Um, maybe I I wonder if this is a waste of talent, not like in a you know <laughs> a waste of waste. Because when you think about it, teaching younger students, like if someone teaches um a grade school, I think what's more important or a kindergarten grade school, um, your degree might not be the most important thing. Mm-hmm. I think it's more important for you to understand child psychology mm-hmm. and also child um just their growth patterns. Mm-hmm. You know, what they think at a certain age, what they're normally like, um, you know, their habits and things like that. And what you actually teach them. If someone can get a degree, a master's degree in economics or engineering, certainly they can start to learn child psychology oh, over a few years. I don't know. Because if you, if you know, you teach little kids, right? The amount of patience. Yeah, I do. I have for a long time. The amount of patience required. Yeah. It, it, I think it's. It's more than most people can handle. I'm a parent myself, and I think facing one child, hmm. you know, uh, on a daily basis is enough. Thank you very much. Um, there's joy in being with kids. I, I agree. <laughs> <They're>, <laughs> yeah, that's what I tell my parents. I tell my parents that, actually. I say, they say, oh, you're such a good teacher. I say, yeah, but I'm going to go home now, and it's going to be peaceful there. <laughs> yeah, you need that, or else you'll go crazy. And I always kind of taunt them. I taunt them, now your kid's going home to you, Mom. <laughs> I know. That's why, see, now I understand why there are summer vacations and winter vacations, mm. because otherwise, the teachers are going to go crazy. <laughs> and now, if there are no school, the parents will go crazy. 
So, you know, the, the, the schools and uh, us parents, we make a deal, right? Let's share the burden. It's your turn. So that the society, <laughs> yeah, it's your turn. So what I'm saying is, even if someone, you know, has this degree, that degree, um, but if you are not patient enough, you are not, mm-hmm. if you, you don't have love enough to kneel down and look the kids in their eyes and try to understand them, to be at their level, you know, to to feel their hearts, uh, their soul with yours, hmm. you won't be that great of a teacher hmm. because it's not about installing hardware. You know, it's not like upgrading software or just yeah. inputting information. It's not about that. It's about growth. You know, as much as you're right, as much as you are totally right, I also think uh, most teachers, pe- most people who get into teaching, hmm. get into teaching because they want to help I hope other so. people. They want to help. They <laughs> I want, hope because so. <laughs> No, I, I mean, think about it. Who gets into teaching for the money? Not anyone, <laughs> no, no, because there's true. not a lot of money there. So right. most people who want to teach generally, because it's because they want mm. to teach. That I have a friend. His name is Morris, mm. and uh, he told me his opinion is that teachers are like one of the most, if not the most, important people Absolutely. in all of society. Absolutely, because they're teaching the next generation of people who will take over the world. Basically, mm-hmm. they're going to be the next people who run the world. So. The pillars it, of if, the society, as we say. So if there is a if there is a good teacher and that teacher teaches well, they can have an overwhelmingly large Absolutely. impact on the fu- on the future on future generations. Yes, and I, I completely agree with you that you know an engineer who is like a very engineer type personality, mm. they might not make the best teacher. But in my mind, mm-hmm. if that same engineer is like, oh, I'm going to teach to give up the big salary mm. to make the small salary, mm. probably. And if they're smart enough to get a degree in engineering in the first place, if you combine those things, mm. they have a very good chance of becoming a good, maybe not oh, the first year. Of course. But, you know, mm. after they learn how to do their job effectively. And they survive. Be good. Yeah. If they survive. Yeah. <laughs> then they probably will eventually be a good teacher because in order to try to be a teacher, mm. you have to be there for the right reasons. I think most people who are teachers are there because they like kids. They like teaching. They like want to help kids grow mm-hmm. up. and They want to make be, a difference. Yeah. They want to yeah. make a difference. Yeah. Hopefully, because if you're going in for other reasons, uh, it's just too much. <laughs> 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 but, you know, when it comes to salary... Let's just go back to the Shenzhen school a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think they, they make decent salaries, especially mm-hmm. if they're in like private schools. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, Shenzhen is flushed with a lot of money, right? And mm-hmm. a lot of people with, mm-hmm. who are highly educated, um, they make it their home. And um, also, it's, as you mentioned, some of the newer industries. So uh, a lot of these schools, one of my cousin actually teaches in uh, one of the universities there. Now, he mm-hmm. has a PhD from the UK. I think he's mm. paid very, very handsomely. If you have a PhD so. and you teach in a university in China, yeah, the pay is really good. What's really interesting mm. is that a lot of roles in, in the United States, too, are not filled mm. by people with PhDs. They have like master's degrees and they are called lecturers. They're not on the tenure. Wait. Tr- yeah, they're called lecturers. I thought they all have to have a PhD degree. No, no, no. Like for professors. No, no, not to be a professor. Even yeah, assistant they, professor. So, OK. The, oh. Yes, you're right. You're right. First, you're an assistant or associate professor, and then you're eventually an associate or assistant, then you're tenure, then you're a professor, mm-hmm. and then you're a tenured professor. But people mm-hmm. who teach like undergraduate, lower division, like freshmen and sophomores, mm-hmm. a lot of those people just have master's degrees. I see. So mm-hmm. those people actually get paid very little. Mm-hmm. So for example, when I was living in Beijing, I had the option of working at a teaching academy, mm-hmm. teaching English. This is when they still, it was still legal mm-hmm. to teach <laughs> a, in an English academy. Mm-hmm. And the pay was 
good. It wasn't great, but it was good. Mm -hmm. But if I I looked at the potential to teach at a university as a lecturer, Mm -hmm. and the lecturer jobs paid like $8,000 a month. At that time? 10 years ago? No, they even to this day, they pay about that. So like a lecturer for someone who just has a master's degree in a university makes not very much at all. Mm. So this is what you saw was the people who were not great teachers ended up teaching in the universities Mm -hmm. and the people who were really good teachers ended up teaching in the English academies. Mm. And so you had a reversal of where people might, you might imagine that they would be. You might imagine you go to, you know, a university, you're going to get a really good lecturer. But in fact, Mm -hmm. some of the greatest teachers in Beijing at that time were teaching at like Wall Street English. I've always wondered why, because I remember my professors from back in college especially the assistant professors they really didn't make much mm. i think their starting salaries were like $35,000 per year mm. and these are people with um phd degrees from really really good schools mm. i mean this was well almost 20 years ago so hopefully now you know their starting salaries are a little bit higher than this but even for you know i uh, after graduation mm-hmm. Um, I worked on Wall Street for two years and the starting salary was like 55. And so that could be more than what a assistant professor would be making in a university. something about something about China. I think it's the same in the U.S. that China is producing an enormous mass of super educated people. Mm. And that's true in the United States for PhDs. Mm. I I read a statistic in in the last six months or year that there are like two or three times more PhDs in like half of the subjects that universities produce than there were 20 years ago. What that means is they're they're just, you know, so you want to be a teach at a junior college yeah so do these other like 10 people mm. you know we can lower the salary because you know supply and demand huh. yeah it's too competitive mm. the universities have been producing too many super educated people which i mean it's good in its own way but mm-hmm. in terms of getting traditional jobs that people thought they were going to get traditionally for getting that degree it's it's no longer there well maybe well maybe i should tell my mom that because She's like still saving money for me to get my PhD degree. <laughs> like my mom is, you know, one of the, um, I think, typical Asian parents, mm. you know, for them, it's like my kid, um, like her education levels starts at the PhD level. <laughs> <laughs> I, I only have an undergrad, so I'm like way behind. Um, and you know, last time we talked, she still mentioned that, you know, I still have that money saved. You can study anything you want mm. as long as it's a PhD degree. <laughs> and I was like, why mom? <laughs> 
why. It's so she can tell her other friends how educated you are. I'll still have to graduate <laughs> and come out and find a job. And I'm doing what I like. It's kid bragging rights. <laughs> well, I, I just don't think it's necessary. And I think it takes, mm. yeah, it's it, and it takes mm. a personality uh, to, to get a PhD degree. You have to be really patient. <laughs> I'm not the most patient person in the world. I, I <laughs> so. She's still saving. Well, you know. I think that, yeah. you know, even if there's not a market for whatever it is you're planning on studying, at least you'll have a, you'll be debt free. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's true. But still, five years of my life, you know, I'm happy just reading. I, mm. I learned a lot from reading, from watching the right videos. Some PhDs take eight years. Baby. Yeah, I've heard. That's why they, they give it a nickname, like permanent uh, hemorrhage, just like damage or something, something, something like a permanent, permanent damage <laughs> to her brain. <laughs> Well, that's just yeah. a joke. It's it's great. It's great having a PhD degree. It shows a lot about your persistence and, of course, your professionalism. And just hopefully you can mm, find mm. just the right job for, you know, whatever you're really good at. Mm. Well, we were supposed to be talking about English, but that's fine. It's still educated. All related. I think it's it's all related. It's all related because I was I was in my mind, I was thinking about English mm. professors and English academies, you know. When I, before I moved to China, I didn't understand the mm -hmm. degree to which English was important in China. And that's why I kind of, I, I wanted to bring this topic up today because I want our listeners mm -hmm. in the United States and elsewhere to really see this picture that I didn't have be before I came here and have a clear understanding of right. how important it is currently, currently anyways, to the education system and how how many people speak English? It's just every I go to Starbucks. Yeah, and they speak I mean, fluent English. It's like wow. Okay, hi. I just wanted a coffee, but now we can have a whole conversation. Even if the policies change, I think people's um, uh, impression of the importance of English language will remain the same. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's a huge industry. Every time I I um, turn on my app, the TikTok, you know, the video site. Mm -hmm. I mean, I always come across English teachers, and mainly they um, are targeting younger kids, right? They're, and they sell millions of dollars mm. um, on that platform, just teaching little kids how to, like, apple, apple, bananas, <laughs> bananas. Well, they always start from there, but it's a huge industry. People, Why does every English education start with apples? I don't know. <laughs> What is what is so special about the apple? Seriously, it's uh, because other people know it because <laughs> the parents would know that, you know, they're teaching my child English. Um, but I think they're probably a little bit too nervous about it. I mean, English is not that difficult mm -hmm. to learn. If you just do it the right way, like read some picture books together. Right. Mm. And the learning the language is a side product. You don't really have to just focus and learn the language. You know, there are fun ways of doing it. And the language the kid will learn by themselves. Mm. You know, Bebe, every time we talk is the time always gets away from me. We're it's always interesting to talk to you. You know, English is a great opportunity for us to build bridges between China and the rest of the world because Absolutely. so many Chinese people speak English. Come over here and meet these amazing Chinese people, my friends mm. from America. And Jason, the guy, the foreign guy in the community who wears shorts in the wintertime. Thank you so much. <laughs> I've had a... <laughs> Nice time talking Thank to you. you. And I look forward to our next show together. Thank you, our listeners. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye, everyone.